your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, welcome to a Thursday of Lacrosse Talk PM. I am Rick Solom, and in studio with me is Carol Abrahamson. Abrahamson? Abrahamson. There's a Z in there, so it's like I got to say the Z. She's the executive director of the Mississippi Valley Conservancy, and I don't know where the HQ is, but it's nine counties, so like you're very vast, and we're going to talk about some of the things with the Wisconsin budget, the Joint Finance Committee, uh, and, you know, we we initially planned this show to talk about the the Knowles Nelson Stewardship Fund, which, you know, like what the H is that? Well, we'll figure it out in a minute. But uh, essentially, we have lawmakers breaking the law. That that was kind of the the gist of the the reason why I wanted to have you on. And and they're they kind of uh they kind of unbroke the law, so to speak, right? That they, they I know they're. It's it's like when you when you get busted for something, but then you're like, well, I'll fix it. They're, they tried to fix it just this week as we try to, right? That's what happened. Well, they they did try to, but they actually didn't because uh, to give a little background on this issue, right? We're just I'm diving right in. I'm like, hey, Carol, we're gonna we're gonna tell you tell everybody what the Mississippi Valley Conservancy is, but I need to, I need the attention grabber. We've lawmakers yeah, breaking yeah. the law. And they're lawmakers on what is it a committee? Is it is it the Joint Finance so Committee? So this is the Joint Finance Committee, okay. right? And these are yeah. the sixteen people that are hearing all the budget talks. What is going to? How are we going to spend that seven billion dollar budget surplus? And then beyond that, right? Like, how are we going to? How are we going to not have seven billion dollars in a budget surplus going next next round? So uh, teaser: we're going to talk about how the lawmakers are breaking the law. I know you want to do it. But let's let's talk about the Mississippi Valley Conservancy. First of all, where is the HQ? So we're we're our office is right here in La Crosse. Oh, I did not even know that. Yeah, I just figured you were down south somewhere or something. Okay. <laughs> no, we're right here in La Crosse, but we do cover nine counties right along the river here. Um, we cover the counties of Trempolo, Buffalo, Monroe, Jackson, La Crosse, Vernon, Crawford, Richland, and Grant. So in my head, your HQ should be like out in the woods somewhere, and you have to like hike there. Right. Wouldn't so, that be nice right. if we had uh, some land that we owned and, yeah. and had our, you know, uh-uh. we, okay. we, you know, we, we're a nonprofit organization. We don't want to spend our donor dollars on things that don't help the land. So we have a, a low rent office here in La Crosse. So is the thing like you have a low rent, where's the, where's the office? Uh, it's in the old Norplex building. Just. Right. Just down from the brewery. Okay, so you have that, but then everything else that you quote unquote have, you don't actually have. It's just kind of like because you you told me before the show you have twenty five thousand acres, but you don't actually. It's not your acres, right? Can you explain what what the Mississippi Valley Conservancy does? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So we do own some of it, yep. but the majority of our work. Rick, is to work with private landowners to help them protect their land from future development. And it's really that simple. If you had 100 acres and you said, gosh, I really don't want, you know, maybe you're on the edge of town. I really don't want this to be a subdivision in the next 10 or 20 years. I want to make sure that this stays, uh, I have this really nice bluff prairie and I have this forest and there's a little stream running through here. And maybe I even have a, um, a farm field. Well, we can help you make sure that that stays the way it is, not just today or tomorrow, but forever. What what would happen? Like, I own the land. Why would somebody, like, would I just, like, give in to the pressure, the peer pressure of, 
uh, we want to develop this land. Here's a bunch of money, or and then there, therefore, it's not on the table anymore for me. Or is there other avenues that we we could come and snag your land? If you, it sounds like people are stealing uh, people's land to put subdivisions in. No, no, no stealing is happening. No. But you know, um, property values values go up when they're closer to developed areas, right? Like you, I don't know, but we, you could tell we, me. We see we see this all the time. Um, lands as as there's sprawl, you know, we need to be building new houses for people. Um, they're usually buying farmland is, is often what So you're telling me, you're telling me somebody's got a plot of land. It's worth more if somebody lives next to me or something. It's worth more if you're on the edge of town and it's developable land. Developable. Right. I mean, that makes sense because in my head, I'm like, man, the, the, the property I want and I kind of have is the one that's away from everybody. and I don't have any neighbors. So, but you know what happens though, when somebody else says, Oh gosh, look at this. We could actually, uh, put 10 houses on your 100 acres that you have here. I should Google map my parents' house in Greenville, Wisconsin, because it's... So when I grew up, it was fields, four-wheeler everywhere. Uh, now it's subdivisions everywhere. Yep. Except the big square around my parents' house in Greenville, Wisconsin. Yeah. They still own... And it's farm fields now at this point, but, you know, yeah. like they haven't succumbed to the pressure. Right, But, you right. know, that's... But that can happen. Um, and, you know, if that's your choice, that's your choice. But if it's not your choice, we can help you. Because... You do, what you're doing today is fantastic, but you, someday you're going to maybe give your land to your children or you're going to sell it because you're going to get old and you're going to have to do that. So how do you ensure that your land stays the way it is today? You do that through a conservation easement, conservation agreement with Mississippi Valley Conservancy. Now, we're not going to own your land. We're not going to, um, nothing is going to change on it. What we are doing in this agreement that is going to stay with the deed forever is taking away the development rights on that land. So now it can't have additional houses if that's what we agreed on. You know, maybe we agreed there could be one additional house. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but and, and if you have some farm fields, um, you, you might want to say, I want these to be farm fields. Or you might say... Yeah, no, this is Just erodible. one chicken coop. I, that's all you, I'm allowing. You can have it. You can have <laughs> right. it. You Maybe you want to have a solar array. So we're going to agree on all of those things. But then once we agree on that, that's going to be a legal binding document that's going to stay with the deed, which means 100 years, 1,000 years, it's going to stay the way it is today. Okay, so you've been doing this for 25 years, and maybe you have a – obviously you have a property from 25 years ago, and you talk about solar – well, that wasn't a conversation 25 years ago. So can this stuff evolve over time? Because now maybe, but maybe those people are gone that own that land and the next group comes. I don't know. How does that work? Yeah. Well, I'm that, deep diving already. Right. But. No, that's a great question. So what we try to do with that conservation easement is think ahead like that. So there's an, an area that we call, you know, a, a building zone, an area where you can have buildings that could have a solar array. You could put up another garage, whatever. So that area is kind of yours to do those things. It's in the agreement. But Mm -hmm. then everything outside of that is going to stay the way it is. Mm -hmm. Like you're still going to have your forest and your prairie and your stream and your farm field. But can I I go back and go, it's 25 years later and go, you know what? I actually kind of want to rethink this now because... (laughs) Yeah, no. Uh -uh. No? Okay. How long does that last? Forever? Forever. Oh, wow. Forever. Yeah. So it it sounds crazy, but it it is also like we're just leaving the land the the way it is, right? Right. We're... We're leaving it that way. Woods and is it like what does the majority of the land look like? It's everything. So you know, it's it's habitat, right? It's woods, it's prairie, because we have 
great bluff prairies here. It's water, it's wetlands, it's farmland, it's all of that. Because we need places that are green, we need places for our birds and our butterflies and our bees and our our, our beavers and, you know, salamanders and all well, of that. Well, this is a thing, this is, okay, going back to like, can I change this? Uh, over 25 years, we've talked about the monarch population, right? Right. Well, and, and where I live uh, by Valley High, you know, the DNR came and, and tore down a bunch of pine trees because they want natural grassland to promote rattlesnake uh, habitat. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is there is there a world where some of the land you have is like, okay, well, that stuff's invasive or not native, but but we didn't make that agreement 25 years ago, so I'm just trying oh, to... Oh, yeah, no, if, no, part of it is improving your habitat. Okay. So, absolutely, you so can... So, it's not not touchable. Correct. So, okay. Correct. You're just not going to put a structure on it. Okay. That makes right? sense. Right. You're not going to clear cut the forest. Um, you're going to. You might take out invasive species for sure, um, and do things to enhance the habitat. But you're not going to destroy it. That's Carol Abrahamson. She's the Mississippi Valley Conservancy Executive Director. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a couple of different things. And I'm not exactly sure how we're going to do this, but the Joint <laughs> Finance Committee is having budget hearings all over the state. Uh, they 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 made a decision, right? They made a decision on a fifty six thousand acre plot of land in northern Wisconsin called the Pelican River Project. They kind of put the they they, they put the kibosh on that, right? Like saying, nope, we're not doing this thing, which is a thing that you would do here if you had fifty six thousand acres of yeah, right? Like this, they're doing the same thing there as here, yes, or what you would yes. want to do. Um, and and so they did that, but the way they did that, Carol says they're doing this illegally. And uh, it, it, and it, is it affecting you as well and stuff you want to do? Um, it affects anybody who wants to utilize the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Fund in the state of Wisconsin. Okay, and I don't even know if I mentioned that. The Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Fund is a way to that where the state kind of helps conservancies like your own, uh, like go go in and, and buying some of this land, right? Yeah, the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Fund, it's a grant program. Um, and anybody who has a land trust or even municipalities can apply for 50% of the appraised value of the purchase price of the property and and the state's just kind of well anyway we'll get into it when we come back all right welcome back to lacrosse talk pm 608-785-7914 is the text line if you got questions or comments i mean we're going to talk about what lawmakers are doing to break the law with carol abramson she is the mississippi valley conservancy executive director and I just learned that they're based, your, your home base is right in La Crosse. Because in my head, you were way south. Because there's other things that are, uh, I don't know. Anyway, so that's funny that you're just right next door. But uh, all right. So so I, I don't know which way to, which which direction to take this. But the Joint Finance Committee is doing budget hearings. And that's separate, that's separate from some of the projects that we're talking about, right? Like they're doing budget hearings, but they're also doing other things, right? They have other duties. Um, but did you, first of all, you 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 went to the Joint Finance Committee meeting that Joe Billings held. It was with at least two or three people from the Finance Committee, right? I Correct. Think. Yes. Um, that was last. Was that last week? Yeah. Last we, Monday or Tuesday? Yes. So the local one. So what what did you go to the Joint Finance Committee to talk about? And what was your pitch there? So I went to talk about the fact that we have this issue of how the Joint Finance Committee takes a look at these applications for land acquisition and the fact that they don't have to go on record to say, I object to this. There is no um, public process. There's no transparency to the process. If- okay. So 
so when you when when you get somebody that wants to donate land to you, is this the is this how this would start? I want to donate my thousand acres to the Mississippi Valley Conservancy. Well, if you're going to donate it to me, oh, Rick, wait. I don't need any money. No, you want to buy it. Oh, you, <laughs> right, I'm gonna, right. If okay. you if you want to sell your land oh, okay. to us, right, we have to come up with some money. Okay, so you have to figure out how to. And and the state at one point in time, the state was the, the, it's called the Knowles Nelson Stewardship Fund. At one point in time, it was probably giving out like eighty, hundred million dollars a year to to projects like this to Correct. help. To help nonprofits or maybe profits, but land trusts, land trusts, trust, um, municipalities. Okay, acquire land to to leave it land to leave it nat- natural, essentially, right? Like mm-hmm. to leave the habitat alone. Um, and and then now they've they've that that funding is I don't know if it's been cut, but it's down to like thirty three million dollars a year. And then they don't use that thirty-three million dollars a year for anything. So is that am I on the right track here? Well, you're you're kind of on the right track. I mean, they use some of it or. We use some of it, um, but what happens is any the grants are granted. To grants an are granted. Um, the projects that go forth that are above two hundred and fifty thousand dollars have to. So they're they're already appraised by the DNR. The DNR has gone through. They've um, decided that these are good projects and that they should be moved forward. But then, because it's more than $250,000, it has to go to the Joint Finance Committee. Okay. Now, the Joint Finance Committee can take a look at your application, and somebody on that committee can literally walk down the hall to the chairperson's office and say, I object. There's no record of who did it. There's no record of why they did it. And they are supposed to then hold a public hearing within 14 days and they when don't do that. When you say they, do you mean the Joint, the Joint Finance, Finance Committee? Okay, when you say there's no record of who or why, Mm-mm. should does there is there supposed to be a record of who or why? Well, shouldn't government be transparent enough that we know who objected and why they objected? Right, but I mean, you because you could go into, because they're supposed to, within 14 days of that objection, have a public hearing about, about why they object? Well, the, or, to, to have a discussion about the project. Okay, about the project. Right, and then... One would think that somebody would say, well, this is why I objected, and there would be a chance for some input, um, but none of that is happening. Right, right. Now, okay, but first, I, like, the the person that object, they, they should be on the record why, why they object and when they, when they object, right? Because when they object is important because then that starts the clock for two weeks later, and then, then there's supposed to be a public hearing, but that, A, they're not having a public hearing. Correct. B, if, even if they were, you wouldn't. You wouldn't see it. There, there's no place that they would like. The city council has an agenda. They put it out 24 hours before their public monthly public meeting or their committee meetings because there's a rule there. I think it's 24 hours. It might be more than that, but um, so you know that. So that's not happening. But but they but the so the joint finance committee is not doing. This is where lawmakers are breaking the law essentially. Correct. Yes, they are not following the laws that they have put forth. So is that what you went to this meeting and did you just go and yell at like Goiki and I think there was one other joint finance? Hey, what are you guys doing? You're not even you're not abiding by the law. Well, I hope I didn't yell, but <laughs> but I I think I maybe made my point to uh, Representative Goiki and and to his credit, when this came up, uh, he did with the the Pelican River project that I think you spoke about already. When the debate came up about that, he did say, hey, this is not right. What we're doing is not right here. Yeah, this is funny, the timeline, because you did this last week. Yes. And you did it in front of a joint finance committee person. Yes. And 
the Pelican River project is is a similar to what you would do in the Mississippi Valley Conservancy, where you would it's a it's a giant. So you have let's just do an example. So let's just do an example of what you do. Somebody somebody came to you and said, uh, "We have sixteen hundred acres of land." we want to sell to the Mississippi Valley Conservancy. First of all, I said, you need to name it. And you're like, we did name it. So it was called the Plum Creek Conservation Area. Now, who names that? Well, we named it. Okay. <laughs> we, we did name because it. Because you, you're buying it. So we get to name it. Yeah, least, exactly. Right? Like, we get exactly. Um, right. and, and so this land, I mean, we don't buy everything that people want us to buy because we can't. Right. Um, but this was really important because it was 1,600 acres, contiguous acres, it was. It's adjacent to 2,000 acres that the DNR has already purchased over the years. So that's already protected from yeah. development forever. Um, you would and, think. Well, okay. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have gone that far. But but ours is protected from development yeah. forever. Um, it's five miles of the Kickapoo River. It's two and a half miles of Plum Creek. So, you know, trout fishing is really uh, important in this area. It's a farm, uh, right? We like food, so... There's the opportunity to grow some food there. Um, it's forest. It's got acres and acres of forest for forest interior nesting birds. You know those birds that in the winter they're down in Costa Rica and then in the summer they come here? Well, they come here because we offer them a place mm-hmm. to have a nest and raise their young and have enough food and shelter. And, and then they're really things. mad when it snows 10 and inches. And then they go home. <laughs> and I don't blame them. <laughs> well, um, it snows 10 inches when they come back. Yeah, like oh, last yeah, weekend yeah. is what I'm saying. But okay, so, and then you, you appraise that land. I think you said you appraised the Plum Creek Conservation Area at about $3 million. So the, the family that was selling it um, they agreed that they would sell it for $3 million. Now, do you barter there? You're like, they come at you with five. It's like Facebook Marketplace. I'm like, I'll give you three. Oh, for sure. Is there that going on? Yeah, we do. Yeah, for sure. you know, yeah. We do. Okay. I mean, we're a nonprofit, right? <laughs> You yeah. know, if you're going to give us a... If well, gonna... everybody starts out way high. I mean, I'm going to sell yeah. my truck for 20 grand and I'm going to come at you with 10. And then sometimes people just say, you know, go bleep yourself. Well, the family wanted to make sure that this land was not divided and houses put all over it. So they were very kind to um, bring their price down to something that we could manage. But how could we manage? I mean, it's $3 million. How yeah. are you going to fundraise so, for that? So $3 million. So in a perfect world, in a perfect world in Wisconsin... You, you fill out an application, and it's for the Knowles-Nelson Knowles Stewardship Fund. Right. And that, that grant program that Wisconsin has, I don't know how long it's been going on, but it, it awards grants to people like you, to groups like you, and then th- that cuts. Is it always in half? They will always grant 50%. 50%. You can apply for up to 50%. Oh, okay. And then you have to match, you know, with the other fifty percent yourself. And because it's three million dollars, it's over the two hundred fifty thousand dollar echelon, which means the joint finance committee has to approve it. Correct. And you didn't fill this out. We did not because it takes a lot of time. I mean, it takes multiple staff people a couple of weeks to go through this application process. And because we know the history of the joint finance committee is to object and essentially your your project sits in a black hole because you don't know who and you don't know why and you don't know if they're going to have a hearing and is it ever going to get funded. We just, we couldn't do that because the family's not going to wait. Yeah, when you turn in the application, do you do you have any timeline as to when the Joint Finance Committee would have gotten to it? You've, you must have tried this in the past, right? We've tried to get the Knowles grant money? Uh, perhaps before I've been with the oh, organization. Okay. Yeah. Well, so, you need to try one time. Yeah. I think. Well, well, actually, we've determined that we're going to because okay. it's important that we show Joint Finance Committee that we have high quality projects, and so we're going to do that. 
Yeah, I mean, you have done some that are under 200. Yes, we've done lots of over- We've got applications in right now. Because you can't complain about something if you haven't, you know, like this Correct. would be like me complaining about a vacuum cleaner that I saw online on a YouTube video, but I yes. didn't actually get to use yes. it. Right. Um, all right, we're going to explain this uh, Pelican River project and how this didn't work and how lawmakers are breaking the law when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608 785 is the text line if you want to. Shoot me a text. Carol Abrahamson is the executive director of Mississippi Valley Conservancy. Carol, don't leave without me taking a picture so that I at least have proof that you were in here. Uh, she's in studio with me. Uh, the Mississippi Valley Conservancy is, is over 25 years has amassed 25,000 acres uh, throughout nine counties in Wisconsin. And like, let's just reset. What do you do with those acres? Yeah. So just to clarify, we don't own 25,000 acres, right? We've protected though from development, 25,000 acres. Most of that is still in private land ownership. Um, but we do have about 6,000 acres that we've conserved a lot of times in partnership with even like the city of La Crosse, for instance, um, that's open to the public. So that's, that's there for you to hike, bird watch. You can hunt, you can fish, uh, trap, snowshoeing, uh, just spending time out in nature. Yeah, the misconception here is that you guys grab the land and nobody can touch it. Nope. But when you when you own the land, because uh, private people, you can help private people protect their land, but then you can also, like you talked about the uh, the plum thing, the Plum Creek Conservation Area, that's land that you own. Uh, you guys paid $3 million for it. I don't know how you did that. It must have been on the phone a lot. And then um, 1,600 acres, that that we can go, I don't know, where is that? What can people do on that? Well, it's near Wazika. Okay. Um, so, but again, you know what, like I said, we we're on uh, the Kickapoo River and Plum Creek. So if you like trout fishing, that's a great place to fish. Um, certainly you can get out on your kayak on the Kickapoo. Um, there, it's, it's just a really beautiful place to do some hiking, uh, bird watching, lots of birds, if you, if that's your thing. So spend some time outdoors in nature. Can you hunt on all this land too? You can. Okay, so yes. I just said I wasn't sure. Hunting yep. is not my th- girlfriend hunts. I don't. Um, we're reverse roles there, but okay. So comparing that to up north, there's fifty six thousand acres a Pelican River project, similar to what you're saying. This is a thing that we would protect it from development, and then you can hunt, fish. I believe there's places to four wheeler, snowmobile, all that stuff on this fifty six thousand. But I, but they're they're applying for a grant through the Knowles-Nelson Stewardship Fund, this, whatever group is doing the Pelican Project. And that goes through the Joint Finance Committee because obviously 56,000 acres is going to be over $250,000. And when when you do this, the Joint Finance Committee can just say, nope, we don't like it. We're, we're not sure if there's a rule there where we have to know who says no because there's 16 people on that committee. And But there is a rule that says within 14 days you're supposed to hold a public hearing. Well, they said no to this when? In, in November. In November. November. So November, that wasn't two weeks ago. So right, but but what's interesting is they 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 finally came out in and had a public hearing, kind of on this. I don't know how much did you did you look into what they did. Just they did this like two days ago. Yeah, they just did this and and they denied the project. And when I say they, the joint finance. Correct. Correct. Yep. And this is a project that the conservation fund is actually um, purchasing. So, and it, you're right, it will be open to the public. There will be a lot of different recreational activities that can happen on this property. It's a property that was used by the paper mills. So there are logging roads there. So yes, they're going to allow ATVs and snowmobiles and things like that. Um, the public is always looking for trails. They're looking for places to get out and be outdoors. 
Uh, they're always looking for places to hunt. So that's what organizations like ours provide. All right. So November, the Joint Finance Committees said no to this grant, like up to 50% grant funding for this thing. And uh, they said no to it this week, which means they didn't abide by the two-week rule. And that's where, but how do we, is there a way to hold these people accountable? What's What's funny is you came out last week in front of a couple of Joint Finance Committee members to gripe about this, right? Like you're not having public hearings about denying or why you're denying these, at least I don't even know if they have to tell us why, but they have yeah. to have a public meeting about it. Uh, and then all of a sudden there's a public meeting about it. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, and I, I do thank a representative Goyke. He's really, uh, that's who I spoke to the most loudly. Uh, and he brought this to the forefront and at least there was some debate about it. And uh, the public is now sees that there's, not enough transparency in this process and that these lawmakers are not following the laws. Yeah. So then, and they came out a couple of days ago, they said, you know, they, they denied the project. They want to develop it or future. They're worried about like up North being too woodsy, I think. And we need more potential for development up there. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we all, if anyone agrees with that, I, I'm sure there's some people that want uh, the, the North woods, more developed. We more we need more dollar stores up there in those tiny little towns, right? Um, but but yeah, I, I, and then that's the next step, I guess. You know, bringing having people like you on to talk about going in front of the Joint Finance Committee, maybe emailing. I don't know who you would email the Joint Finance Committee. I think you can email them all if you just Google Joint Finance Committee members and just say, hey, we want more accountability. We want more transparency based on what you're doing with the Noel Stewardship Fund, right? Well, you know, the fact of the matter is 40 organizations and businesses spoke for this project up north. Um, it, the townships around this area spoke for this this project. The Pelican River Project, yep. Yeah, and 90% of Wisconsin voters are in favor of conservation funding. Well, this one of the great heritage activities of this state is hunting. Well, if we don't have land to hunt on, then that goes away. So this is... The Nolsalsen Stewardship Fund is is popular. Conservation funding is popular in the state of, of Wisconsin. You know, Trout Unlimited, um, uh, whitetail organizations, uh, fishing organizations, all of these organizations are in favor of funds for cons- for conserving land. Um. We're not just the dairy state, right? Like when, when you talk, if you get outside of Wisconsin or outside the Midwest, when people talk about like this kind of stuff, it's Minnesota, it's Wisconsin. These are the states that are known for, I mean, literally the Northwoods. That's a thing. Like, I think that's a company at this point, right? Um, all right. So so now, again, I, I would say that the Pelican River Project, they went through this this process. You haven't gone through this process. So are you going to try at some point to... Have a, a try to get some Knowles Nelson stewardship funding that's over two hundred fifty thousand dollars, so you could at least, you know, then you would really have something to gripe about if they deny it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so we do have some projects that have some potential uh, in the, in the next year or so that will be over that two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And if that happens, you know, we we have to rank and and set criteria for everything that we do too. But if we have a project, yes, we will put an application in. Is it one of them deals too when you when you put in the application? Do you like just need a lawyer on hand to like, hey, because it, the, is the application process that hard to to just kind of figure out? Like I just did my taxes. I started to do them and I got like three hours in and I was like, 
I don't know. I, ca- I can't keep Googling this. And then I just took them to H&R Block and they did them for me, but I had to pay a price. Uh, so at some point, I don't know, is that the, is that kind of the same thing you do? You get this application process, you're like, uh, I don't know what this terminology is. Now you need to hire somebody. No, actually, we have very high skilled professional staff. Okay, you're already paying that person. So, yeah, <laughs> right. we, we can handle the application, but it takes a great deal of time. Okay. Um, due diligence, which is fine. But how much time? Like, is it like 10 days? Um, like you a- know, we just put an application in. Um, we had, I think, four staff people worked on that for a couple of weeks. Oh, my God. So it does take. So I just have no idea. Like, I have no idea. Like, I suppose you got to go and get pictures and, and I don't know, maybe do some like, like soil tests. I don't know. Um, all right. So can we go, let's reel back to the Mississippi Valley Conservancy and, and I guess, you know, how did this thing get started and what is your mission here? Is there, um, and has that mission evolved over 25 years? You know, it really hasn't. We've stuck true to our mission, which is to conserve native habitats and farmlands in the Driftless area for future, uh, current and future generations. So that's still the work that we do today. Um, on top of just conserving the land, though, we also take care of it. A restoration is a big part of what we do. So we want to remove invasive species and uh, replant native habitats and encourage nat- native habitats to come back. Uh, so we work on making the lands more resilient, making them more adaptable to the changes that we see all around us, and increasing biodiversity, which is really important for the plants and animals. Do you ever get it like a like either someone donates land, or I don't know if you would buy it. Then you're talking about buying some of this land. Does that does that process ever happen? You go, mm, no, you can you can keep that. Like we don't that I don't know. Like with that, does that happen? Um, we this can, land is beyond help. I don't know. That seems crazy. Um, no, there isn't land that's beyond help, but we are we only have so much staff time and we only have so much money. We are a nonprofit organization. We depend solely on individuals making donations. So we do have to have criteria to determine whether or not we can take a property. We look we really are looking to build larger corridors of protected land. So we're looking for again like Plum Creek adjacent to other protected yeah, properties that makes sense. to make these larger corridors. Again, as you we, don't want the dollar store going in between two of these. Right, right. <laughs> I'm sorry, dollar right. store. I guess they're not going to sponsor this. Yeah, show. you want connectivity. As we see the changes that we're seeing all of the time with, you know, weather, big rain events, flooding, etc. It's really hot. Everything's changing. Um, we want to have places that are large enough where animals especially um, can move about and adapt to those changes that are happening uh, in land that's protected, and there are there are plenty of species who will not stay in areas that are really small. I mean, we have a property, 310 acres of prairie, sand prairie. Um, it's there for some specific birds who aren't going to nest in anything smaller than that. So those are the things that we look at. Now you have you talk about having people that are experts in the application process to help you get grant funding. How many people do you have on staff? Because now I'm thinking, like, are those people also experts on, like, you know, what the habitat of a beaver needs? You know, where you go into these lands and and try to figure out what's invasive and what needs to go and what needs to stay. Yeah, you bet. We have 11 full-time employees. uh, But we also, uh, this summer, we'll have two different summer intern crews that we're going to be running. Those four uh, college-age students uh, as well. Um, We have... A boatload of volunteers. We couldn't do it without volunteers. Well, that was my, yeah, I was getting there. I was like, yeah. you, you probably always need volunteers. And, and what, 
okay, where, where and how and what, what kind of volunteers would you need? Yeah, you know, if you're interested in volunteering for us, the opportunities are endless. You can go on our website and you can fill out a form and you can say, hey, um, I'm interested in stuffing envelopes in your office, but I surely don't want to go out and cut buckthorn all day. That's right. okay. We, we need both, right? So you know, on the website, there's a form. You can fill it out. You can say, these are the things that I want to do. And then we will notify you when those opportunities are available. All right. And, and kind of... Ch- changing gears here you're also on is this the board yeah you're on are you on the board here i think your name's on yeah you're on the board of what's called the climate alliance for the common good and um does that have anything to do with mississippi Valley? i'm sure in, a, in an indirect way it does but is there what's the relation there well the relation is you know we're all just trying to make this a better place and find ways to help the issues that are we are starting to see with climate change So, um, for instance, natural climate solutions is simply conserving land and not developing it because uh, the trees and the grasses all absorb carbon and also the roots and the soil hold that carbon until you dig it up. So if we can keep these areas from being developed, then that is sequestering carbon. Well, and that's what I wonder is like, as you do this for 25 years, how much you learn and then how much, okay, we've, you know what, we actually need to think about like, you know, you must have land that, that floods or adjacent to that land. There might be a city there that floods all the time. And then, you know, and then that's about developing that land or not developing that land uh, to, to kind of combat that as, as everything changes a little bit. Well, you know, what we're seeing with these large rain events is the erosion on the stream banks. So we've learned uh, ways to restore those stream banks in a manner in which that water will rise up and, and there are grasses along those banks that can absorb that flow and keep them from eroding. And then the water recedes and all you see is grasses that have laid flat, which are going to pop up in a few days, rather than a cut in the bank and a soil loss in the bank and changes in the, the directions of the the banks of the stream. So, yes, we've learned a lot over the years. We continue to learn. Um, we have, a, a, like I said, a professional, skilled expert staff on these things. Do you ever get those volunteer college kids that come in and then they just blow your mind with some of the stuff that they're learning in school right now that maybe you're like, oh, geez. Well, you know what? They're, they're so much, there's so much enthusiasm and energy and they're really there to learn, is conservation the right career for me? So if they're working out on the land for 10 hours and it's, you know, 85, 90 degrees in the sun, um, they have to figure out, is this what I want to do? And, yeah. and for some of them, it is. But then for others, they realize that it isn't. But they spend the summer with us um, working 30 hours a week on both helping our private landowners because as they age, they aren't always able to take care of their land the way they would like to. And then on the lands that we own as well. All right. We're going to wrap up with Carol Abrahamson uh, with the Mississippi Valley Conservancy when we come back. All right. Just going to wrap up here a couple minutes with Carol Abrahamson, the executive director of the Mississippi Valley Conservancy which holds about 25,000 acres. They've been accumulating that. And, and what do you want to say? Protecting that? Should I say that? Yes. Accumulating sounds nefarious in a way. Right. Uh, over the last quarter of a century, right? Um, and they, they serve like nine counties here. Uh, it, are you are you locked into only nine counties, or does that just happen to be where the land is? 
We are right now just because we don't have the capacity to take on more. Was it just more paperwork because we're going to hit this county and then we got to like oh, get approval? Or no, just, it's, oh, okay. it's not more. So our furthest property away is a two-hour drive yeah. in Grant County. Sure. So if we're going to send a crew down to work on that property, they're driving two hours to get there. They're working all day and then they're driving two hours back. Are you locked to Wisconsin? Can you? We are locked to okay. Wisconsin. Yeah. Minnesota has a land trust, the Minnesota Land Trust. Yeah. And they cover virtually the whole state. When it, when it comes to what you're doing, I just got like a couple minutes here. When it comes to what you're doing in Wisconsin, and we talked about this Knowles and the, the Joint Finance Committee not really abiding by public open meetings rules or anything like that. Um and you, but you don't, you don't have anything in Wisconsin, but like, how does, or in Minnesota, how does Minnesota do this? Are you jealous? Do they do it better? Or did you, would you like to expand there? Yeah. So, um, I am jealous and full disclosure, I live in Minnesota, but you know, we tax ourselves in Minnesota in order to fund conservation. So if, if I wanted to have a conservation easement on my farm and I do have a farm in Minnesota, they would actually pay me for a conservation easement. They would pay me to protect my land. Well, we don't have that opportunity in Wisconsin. We don't have that kind of funding. So when people want to protect their land here in Wisconsin with us, they actually make a donation to us, a financial donation. Would that put you out of business in Minnesota? Because they would just go through the state? Or would the would the Minnesota pay you to, to no, get the, help from you the from land, Mississippi Valley? The land trust in Minnesota would pay me to protect my land. Okay, but so would they're they doing pay, the same work that we're doing. Let's just say you're working in Minnesota, though. You're Mississippi. Oh, Valley. Would oh, they pay Mississippi Valley Conservancy oh, to help? No, no, no we we. That's what I'm saying. Your yeah. your your group wouldn't work in Minnesota. No, we wouldn't work in Minnesota. Oh, okay. No. I mean, and out of respect for the work that they're doing, they're doing fantastic work over there. All right, that's Carol Abrahamson, uh, Executive Director of Mississippi Valley Conservancy. If you want to volunteer, if you want to help out, go to the website. Uh, you could just Google Mississippi Valley Conservancy, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. um, all right, coming up tomorrow, UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski. But before that happens, I will be in here in literally 12 hours to do it all over again, as I think it's Mike Hayes' birthday tomorrow. So, all right, thanks everybody for listening.